This is a, another edition of Killinois with Bird and Cam. Uh, this is Bird and is always with me, uh, the ever effervescent Cam. How are we doing, Cammy? I'm good. I'm good. We just got All Star tickets today to the Ooh. hockey All Star game. So, Man, oh, you did have you had me fucked up. I'm thinking you about to have all because you know the NBA All Star games in Chicago. No, no, no. This one's in St. Louis. The hockey one's in uh, St. Louis. Next, I'll pass. Next. I'll pass. I don't. You, you know, you're gonna probably take a shot for every time you hear a glory. You're probably gonna be dead by the end of the first period. But uh, man, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Because I, I think it's all all hockey players. Like, oh, not just the. But we are going to this Blues event before with the Stanley Cup, and I'm gonna try and sneak in my Blackhawk shirt. And at the last minute, when they say three, I'm gonna be like, well, bam. Good luck with that. You're not gonna get. You're not gonna get far, pal. But um, so this is the first episode that we've done for the new year. Um, you know, you've been crazy busy. I've been crazy busy, and you know, it's our hope that 2020 is going to be our most busy and successful year as it pertains to the podcast. Um, we have a lot of, and we've been, we've been, you know, again because we our schedules permits it, you know. Uh, haven't been able to do the content in in such uh, form and faction, but we've been brainstorming a lot, and this this after story we're going to be talking about tonight on Paula Sims, and even moving forward, I just I am just really excited on the the potential cases that we're going to be covering because it's going to be a lot of crazy shit, and I know the last few episodes since we you know been back, um, we veered away from Springfield, but we're coming right back downstate to Alton, Illinois. So, you know, I'm finally glad we're going to be doing Killinois, you know, actually doing a merger in Illinois. I'm excited. So, this one I know a lot of people have already heard, but it's fun to talk about. And, yeah, I'm I'm excited. Well, without further ado, you ready to do the damn thing? I'm ready to do the damn thing. Alright, but first... I almost forgot, Cam. We were about to do it without the disclaimer. So, oh without further ado, wow, we're really slacking the New Year. That's all right, right? We. Um, so, <laughs> I'm excited. We're uh, sorry, sorry, guys. It's you should have this disclaimer by heart. Like, um, we're here just to report to do our job. Um, so anything that may be inaccurate or full or anything to uh, the victim or the perpetrator, please let us know. You can hit us up at Illinois. Um, with Bird and Cam, if there's anything that seems inaccurate or not right, or even if you have information, let us know. We're just here to do our job, and the information we gather from various news articles, police records, sources such as, um, you know, also newspapers and such. So, yeah. Fuck it. Let's do it. So, let's, let's do it. Talking about Paula Sims. So, this is Paula Sims, and if you guys don't know, we'll give you an idea. Um, before there was Casey Anthony, and I'm sure many of you know who she oh, was. I remember that shit. Yeah, there was Paula Sims. However, unlike Casey Anthony, Paula didn't lose just one daughter. She lost two. And Paula Sims is a story of a mother, if you could even say mother, who does the unthinkable and murders her daughters. Her story starts back to the marriages of Paula and Robert Sims. In 1989, the couple uh, moved to Alton, Illinois, which is actually a suburb of St. Louis. If you know where Fast Eddie's is, then you, you've I've never only, been to Fast no, Eddie's. I've, I've been to Alton, so that's the funny thing. The only times I've been to Alton is on the Amtrak and route to visit you in St. Louis. But other than that, oh God, that's so funny. I think I've only been there like once or twice, but it was to go to Fast Eddie's, and it's it's a cool little bar. You would you would enjoy it. Hmm. So what makes Paula Sims unique is she's an individual who lost her daughters within five years of one another, and to many these so-called accidents begin to seem more like a coincidence in the authorities' eyes. And I mean, to universally all, almost universally all parents. Like, their pride and joy are their children. But to Paula Sims, her joy seemed to mimic that of her husband. Um, the Sims' joy, again, seemed to only reside in their son, but not their daughters. And we're going to be breaking this down, this reasoning down later. But 
back to Paula. And I stated earlier, these daughters lost their lives within five years of one another. And in between these two deaths, a son was born. And while living in Alton, the Sims were known by their neighbors as a private couple and donated their entire time to their only child and son at the time, Brandy. Now, everything seemed to be normal. That is until authorities were called into the Sims house late April 29th, 1989 with reports of a kidnapping. Now, the story was given to these authorities was that Paula's husband, Robert, had arrived home from work and found Paula unconscious on the kitchen floor. And when she was awoken by her husband, Paula claimed that she went to throw garbage out and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, like Randy Orton, came a masked intruder with a gun. So, if you know, again, where Alton is, I guess this could maybe make sense. Um, since Alton is is close to a city and even closer to East St. Louis. Um, and East St. Louis is one of the most dangerous areas in the country. Maybe according to you, I've been, now I've been to East St. Louis. It's like, it's bad, but... Eh. It's... It's, you don't see anybody on the streets, that's for sure. Um, I've just been there during the daytime, so, but you don't see anybody on the streets. <clears throat> so, this whole idea of this masked intruder coming in with a gun could potentially, be, excuse me, could potentially be a plausible case. And again, maybe it was some person from East St. Louis or the city that came to Alton looking for money or alcohol or drugs. I don't know. But anyways, this masked intruder supposedly quickly forced Paula back into her home and knocked her unconscious with a karate chop to the back of her neck. Like, hey, yeah. But 45 minutes later, she said Robert was waking her up. And before contacting authorities, both Robert and Paula searched their Alton home. And they noticed two things. One, their 18-month-old son, Randy, was thankfully safe and unharmed in his bedroom upstairs where their six-week-old daughter, Heather, who was downstairs, was missing. So here stood Paula and Robert with their daughter missing, and Paula was the only witness to this kidnapping. You know, the fact that, you know, I just said I made a Randy Orton reference and forgot that Randy was the name with their son, so, like... Oh, that's so funny. Jesus, H. Christ. But, you know, if we were investigators, just put, put on our thinking cap. Um, we obviously would have a few couple questions. Obviously, uh, you know, if there was a mass intruder, did this intruder know that there were two children in the house? Now, maybe if he cased out the joint, he would probably come to this realization. Um, but was this an act of, I said, was it an act of randomness or did the Sims have any, uh, you know, ran into any unsavory characters looking out for revenge? Uh, there's so many questions to, to ask, but it was none that seemed to be answered at that point. And this event just scared the ever-loving shit out of, you know, the residents of Alton. And according to reporters such as, uh, local reporters such as Charles Ballsworth that covered this case, he stated that this family was, by all accounts, just the all-American family. And for such an incident to happen... That was what made this story intriguing. And this story, you know, at its time became huge. So when authorities arrived on the scene, uh, they were baffled on what exactly happened after listening to the story that was given to them by Paula and Robert. Now, they asked uh, the, the couple if there was anyone that they can think of that wanted to kidnap their daughter, anyone who hated them. Of course, there was no one that came to mind. And Paula continued to show the authorities where Heather was supposedly sleeping, uh, the bassinet in the basement where the son slept upstairs. So let me just unpack that quick. Uh, bassinet and like the son. Now, again, we have to, with all due respect of where they were living, a bat in the basement. Um. Well, it was you know normal house, but Paula and um Heather at the time were pretty much shunned to the basement. Dad Robert wanted nothing to do with them. Hmm. Uh, whereas Randy seemed to be his pride and joy. 
Um, I don't know if Robert had the mindset that, you know, men are, you know, back in the olden days, you always wanted to have a male heir. And if you had a female um, child, you were pretty much shunned. So I never really found information on people picking apart uh, Robert because I feel like he consciously or subconsciously played a huge huge role. Mm -hmm. Yeah, without getting ahead of ourselves, but like... Yeah, that was something that really caught me off guard. You have a newborn baby who is sleeping in the basement. You would think something that you would be, uh, she would be just front and center your attention, you know. But again, that's just that was something that I just my other question me too was off kilter a little. How did this intruder know to go to the basement where the baby was? Usually, mm-hmm. if not majority of houses the baby's in their bedroom right now now speaking of this and i'm not saying it's right bassinet because again i've never had a kid and i've never i've been i hate kids i'm like i'm like a uh I'm like the grinch i don't know if the grinch <laughs> hates kids but like the grinch it's the kid there you go there you go i hate every i'm an equal opportunity hater but that said like um authorities had noted that the bassinet that paula came that heather was sleeping in was completely undisturbed it was as of kim as if no one was sleeping in it, let alone a baby. And and detectives on the scene had also noted that the home seemed to, you know, you can see that they had a, a baby boy. Example, pictures, boy toys, uh, etc. But nothing to show as if they ever had a baby girl. No pictures, no mention, and nothing. And that's, again, you just had a newborn. You would think... Now, Cam, I would like to assume that, you know, I like to imagine that as soon as you're born, like, and at your family's crib, that they have pictures all over, you know, your Usually formative months, a, right? Yeah. They're everywhere, girl or boy. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to keep a place clean and baby-proof at the same time. <laughs> mm. And if you don't have, like, pictures of your self with the babies or anything with the baby like was this baby even being taken care of properly before she went missing wow it and that's like i have so many questions to you know the backstory is they were very it was very easy for them to to me to kind of cover up you know cover up they were everyone they were this all-american family but there's nothing that points to that they even had a baby girl up until this phone call. Mm-hmm. So, um, the, the, the police look, search high and low, looking for any clues. Uh, they looked at the Sims residence. They looked in the uh, near, nearby residence houses. They looked, they even searched the bottom of the Mississippi River. And authorities, authorities could not find anything. No fingerprints. Uh, no blood, no, uh, no any horrible evidence, nothing. And neighbors, you know, chimed in regarding uh, Paula's story corroborated uh, about the mask intruder, and they stated that they saw a suspicious person wandering around the side of the Sims' home. Now, another claim to see a person burying something the night, uh, that night by the fact by a nearby factory, and um, and do in doing the research, we couldn't find confirmation whether these incidents were related or even if they knew the gender of these suspicious of these suspicious individuals. Now, all in all these leads ultimately led to authorities straight to a dead end. It just seemed to be no motive, let alone any evidence to figure out where Heather went and why she was taken. And they couldn't find any material you know, marital issues with Robert and Paula to indicate any anger towards one another or an affair leaking out it's you know like you said it's just it it did it which is even weirder less than a week later a fisherman actually discovered a large black bag in a trash can on the other side of the mississippi river so on the st louis side in missouri and which is kind of weird because that's where you know trash black bags trash bags belong um, so I guess this was kind of unusual for that area. Um, again, like I was saying, since normally garbage bags belong in trash cans. Um, but anyway, this fisherman actually decided to pull out this large garbage bag just to discover a perfectly preserved body of a baby girl. 
Now, what seems odd about this perfectly preserved body is that usually when one dies, a lot of things, you know, begin to send into play. You know, rigor mortis become, you know, gravity, etc. Right. And the way to slow down these factors from starting or, you know, really playing a huge role is to freeze a dead body. Hmm. Now, we were alive in April and May of 1989, so we don't you know nor do we really have a knowledgeable background on the weather at that exact time actually as you say that while you were saying that i was looking at the old richards almanac uh Uh for the weather history for alternate illinois and i guess on april 26 1989 the day that uh heather was taken it was uh you had a average temperature in alton of 66 degrees uh so i mean there was no, so, there was no precipitation of that day, so that, no, it was just a, just a, you know, pleasant uh, spring day. So what you're saying is there is no possible way she could have been frozen from the weather. No, not at all. Okay, so that's what I was getting at. So where did this, where did this frozen body come from? And again, freezing temperature is 32 degrees. Um, so. This gives, or below 32 degrees, excuse me. Um, So this gives me a thousand one questions on why was this baby perfectly preserved if it was, you know, here the whole time. Right. And the authorities, as soon as they showed up, were able to compare this baby's footprints to that of Heather's birth certificate. And just like that, a positive match. Unfortunately, it was official. Heather Lee Sims was dead. So, um, Dr. Mary Case was the Madison County, uh, where Alton is uh, located, um, the Madison County medical examiner at the time of Heather Sims' death. And she performed the autopsy and was able to discover a couple of things about uh, Heather's death that seemed odd. And and Case was able to determine that Heather did not die from sudden death, uh, sudden, sudden infant death. Or by accident, suicide. I mean, why the how the hell is somebody you know a newborn is going to commit suicide? Which is you know, what was it's it? beyond me. But um, you never what know. was the Ashton Kutcher movie? Uh, the Butterfly Effect. Uh, oh, it was some shit like the the unrated version. He goes back as a kid. He strangles his he strangles his fetus. Some shit like that. You have to you have to Wikipedia it. it I, I remember watching it, but I was far too young to understand it. Mm. So again, um, they did not. Uh, they confirmed that Heather did not die from uh, sudden infant death or by accident. Again, well, that is an accident is common for babies, you know, Heather's age. But Doctor Case was able to determine that, interestingly, Heather died by homicide, and she noted that while obviously there were no gunshot wounds nor stab wounds, she did discover that there were three vertical cuts inside Heather's lip. That could be connected to that could be uh, connected to one being suffocated by putting hands over one's mouth, and again, Doctor Taste confirmed that Heather was suffocated. It was noted too Heather also had post mortem lividity, which means after death, when blood settles at the lowest point of your body, or whichever part is closest to the ground, aka gravity sets in. Although Heather did have post-mortem lividity, she also seemed like she was perfectly preserved. It was later determined that before being placed in the trash can, Heather's body was in a freezer for 8 to 10 hours after her death. That's wild. So this homicide is absolutely insane. And at the time, the authorities still didn't have enough, if any, evidence that connected the Sims to Heather's death, let alone anyone else other than this masked intruder. That is, when authorities decided they needed to take a closer look, they were they were pulling at anything. The authorities actually noted an odd comment that they uh, followed up with Robert Simmons had during the time Heather was missing, and what he what the authorities found out was Robert talked about how they had the longest lasting and best sex they've ever had. When Heather was missing. No, I know it's the thing about alleviating stress when you know when you face situations, but um, yeah, you that, that's how, how can you be having the best sex of your life when your child is missing? And 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 
potentially grave danger. Like, that that's the furthest from my mind. Like, you're going to devote all of your energies to get to the bottom of this, to find your daughter, first of all, alive. And if she is dead, try to find questions, not getting some, you know, nooky-nooky. Yeah, like, ooh, ooh. that's but, like, oh, she's, she's gone, perfect time to do her plan, our fetishes, or whatever. Not, yeah, that's not the time to get trimmed. This is bottom line. So, who the fuck, who the fuck says that? Who says that? Beats me. So, so police start to look even deeper into the couple's past, and they didn't have to look far until they found an unbelievable discovery that Heather was not the first daughter, let alone child, that had been kidnapped and murdered in the Sims family. Now, because I am a man, I am cannot be a mother, but someone who has empathy there, or even a parent, I should say, someone who has empathy there, there's no way in hell after my second child is being kidnapped and murdered, what by by any means wants to have the best long-lasting sex of my life? Like, how could you even have time to think about that again when you supposedly have no idea where your daughter is and, and she's only six weeks old? Again, the, this, the fact that this the second daughter. Exactly, and that's what's crazy. Because authorities found out only only three years earlier in a different town, so it makes sense why Paula and Robert moved. Mm. These two lost their thirteen day old child, Lorelai, in a similar, if not identical, incident. I understand maybe losing more than one child, you know, it does happen. Mm-hmm. But in the exact same incident, exact same encounter that happened, it just blows my mind. So this occurred in June or on June seventeenth, nineteen eighty-six. Paula was home again by herself while while Robert was at work. Just like the incident with Heather, a masked intruder came in, and he entered the home and forced Paula on the ground. This masked intruder again ended up kidnapping their daughter Lorelai, or so Paula said. Get this: Lorelai was only thirteen days old. That's not even that's not even two weeks. Oh, two weeks old. And Not even I two think, weeks. I see maybe this happening once, maybe. But twice? That, to me, I don't know the stats on kidnapping, but for the same family with the same incident, with the same thing, to happen twice is unbelievably rare. And, uh... Not much later, uh, Lorielli's body was found in a ravine behind the Sims' home. And just like Heather, the pathologist, uh, the medical examiner of the case determined that the newborn was suffocated by the mouth and the nose was being covered by something such as a hand. And there was an assumption that the parents did it, but no concrete evidence was ever brought up. And no one could find the mask intruder. And by the time that Lorielli was found... Her bones were scattered by wild animals and had very little evidence to work with. So, after after Heather's death, uh, Alton police knew that, okay, we're, we've just stumbled onto something far, far grave that they have to find evidence. They have to find something. And if they're going to find it, it's going to have to revolve around uh, either Robert or Paula Sims. But then here's the ongoing question that we have. How come the son, Randy, was not harmed? And we said something, we said or alluded earlier that Randy in the in the Sims home, you have pictures of Randy everywhere. You have his toys. He's just a omnipresence that, okay, we have a, new, we have a son here. But it's as if this daughter, while she was alive, did not exist. The fact that she was living on the basement, she was in the basement while he has his room. So you have not that. Only one daughter, but if you lost a daughter and you don't have her, any pictures or memory of her, like, I mean, again, I've never had a kid or lost one, but how do you not have no memories of your child? Right. And, and that's what blows my mind. Did did these intruders intruders, mind you, are in quotation marks, know that there was only one kid? Why did they always keep going after one? You know, the female child, one kid. Why not 
connect both kids. And so very, very confusing. But a mother and a father have lost two children in very, very similar ways. And what's even most similar about both of them is there's no evidence. And so it was very hard to say these two deaths were coincidences. To me, or Joe Kenda, uh-huh. they're exactly. They're I was exactly, waiting for that. I was waiting for it. <laughs> so luckily for authorities, they actually started to dig deeper. And they, and they found, again, Dr. Case that did the autopsy on Heather was also a board-certified neuropathologist. Which means she knew a whole bunch of shit about the neurosystem in the brain. And the authorities started to question Paula's statement in her memory while she was claimed to be knocked unconscious after the intruder came in to kill Heather. Or, I'm sorry, not kill her, kidnap her. And after hours and hours of interrogation, it was quickly, uh, it was quickly apparent to the police that she was pretty much just telling a flat-out lie. And the reason being, uh, the police were able to determine that with the research of the brain, after one gets knocked unconscious, that it is very difficult to remember things when, you know, regaining your consciousness. It's also noted that over the years, you tend to have a weaker memory when your brain has been knocked around. And um, there's been a lot of professional athlete cases that revolve around head cases, you know, that we covered. Uh, Crispin Wall, you guys, you can check that in the archives. Um, I'm recording this as we, me and my uh, best friend Claude, who's sitting right next to me, are watching the Aaron Hernandez documentary that I know down the road we're going to be doing. I just have a funny thing we're going to do. So, I mean, you have CTE, so it's just, it's just, it's it's complete bullshit when Paula was saying all this stuff about, oh, I remember all this when it's just substantial proof that determines otherwise that's why when you get knocked unconscious or get knocked in the head people start asking you questions what's your name where are you what's the date because if you can't remember that you 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 tend coming from experience knocked myself unconscious a couple times um you don't remember those things you really don't and um you know adam is a hockey player and so there's a lot of times he doesn't remember things from getting his head knocked around and football players and so it's a very common thing to not it's a thing to not remember when you get knocked unconscious and so what i was saying earlier is when one is hit hard enough in the head to be rendered unconscious the soft brain tissue actually collides with the skull and it causes an injury like we were stating earlier many athletes in sports such as football rugby soccer hockey contact sports are prone to concussions due to brain injuries like we were talking about earlier with the football and that's been a huge thing lately and so when this occurs it actually does uh when the brain does get knocked around and the tissue does collide it actually disturbs an electrical activity which creates it uh creates it hard for memory to form preceding the traumatic events and during the event so this explains why the individuals in accidents that get knocked unconscious cannot remember events. Again, like we were saying earlier, that's why you people ask you simple questions when something happens, such as your name, your birthday, what day is it, who's the president, things like that. So long story short, there's just no fucking way that Paula would have remembered her encounter with the masked man in such detail that she had. So that said, you're having all of this circumstantial evidence that is just piling up. But to kind of clinch things, the police needed physical, like, damning proof. They needed that smoking gun. So authorities ended up sending the garbage bag that Heather was in to Washington, D.C. to be examined. In the D.C. Godly. You know, again, how it is when, you know, again, we record at night and then we just pronounce terrible. But D.C. <laughs> to our nation's capital, goddammit, Okay. To be examined. And the forensic examiner assigned to the case, David Arnberger. So I can I can pronounce Arnberger, but I can't pronounce Washington, D.C. Wow. Can't pronounce D or C. <laughs> so the forensic examiner assigned, uh, David Arnberger, had very little to work with. Um, again, there was no fingerprints, and DNA was in the very early stages of its infancy. So 
it wouldn't be say if this was uh if this occurred in 1999 or if this was sent to him later. Again, he had a lot to work with, but yeah. That said, uh, Addenberger was able to determine that the bag was made by a Polycorp company out of Minneapolis, and it was also discovered that this specific bag was sold under the name of Curbside, and Kmart was the retailer. Now, at this time, this didn't seem like a big find because these garbage bags are made, you know, are circulated by the millions daily, but. This is where the big breakthrough comes. This particular bag had discrepancies in it. And when this particular bag was made, it created a small opening at the bottom, a puncture hole, if you will. The bag that Heather was in also had dye lines. And so what what this really was is when you're manufacturing, you know, hundreds and thousands and millions of bags, you know, everything's automatic you know you have things doing things machines doing everything and what created these puncture holes was the machine started to get um you know debris on it junk on it and so it started missing spots in the garbage bag and creating holes um as for the dye lines it had to do with when you pull when you pretty much pull the trash can to tie it and throw it out um and those are because they're used so many different ways. There's only you can only have one type of dye line with your trash cans. Um, and Enberger was able to compare these dye lines and these discrepancies or discrepancies, sorry, um, to the roll of the curbside bag that was actually in the Sims home. And what he was able to find was that the bags that were in the Sims home had matching puncture holes to the dye lines. So what we're saying is this entire roll had these holes in dye lines. So it must have been this section must have been made later on in the day when it was when the machines weren't clean and they were debris filled and they were overworked. Um, so what he pretty much said was there was no other roll of garbage bags that matches in the world. None. Zip. None. So. This became the first set of fiscal evidence against the Sims that the authorities could use. And, and they did. They took this evidence and they ran. This means they are no longer looking for a mysterious kidnapper. They were now looking for a murderer. And this murderer was close to home. So authorities uh, began looking to Robert and Paula's marriage a little more succinctly. And they found an unusual relationship. And it was said that Robert seemed to reject his daughters. Uh, the rejection started when Lorelei was born. As soon as Lorelei was brought home from the hospital, both Paula and Lorelei was ousted from the master bedroom and sentenced to the basement. And because pretty much Robert wanted nothing to do with either of them. But when Lorelei was went missing, Paula was granted to sleep in the master bedroom with Robert again. And why, Cam, did Robert disapprove of his daughters? And I, I don't know, is it, are we talking about toxic masculinity? Uh, and like you said earlier about, you know, wanting to have a male hair. It's just, and this is all this rumor and innuendo and speculation, but it just, just it, it really kind of like, you know, baffles me, right? It's interesting. You know, we never really got information on how Robert was raised and what his background was and why he seemed to be so hands-off with his daughters and why he wanted nothing to do with his daughters or his wife when they were born. But when Randy was born a couple of years later, they weren't ousted to the basement. Hmm. Paul, Paul was able to stay in the bedroom and sleep with Robert. And at that time, life seemed perfect. But as soon as she Paula got pregnant again, and Heather was born in 1989, Paula was kicked back to the basement to care for her daughter alone. And so when it was discovered when Paula was pregnant with Heather, making things very apparent that she and Robert did not want a baby girl. And word started to spread that Paula kept talking about how these sleeping arrangements had to stop, or she would have to do something about it. Now. 
I do find this interesting because Paula's motive and actual murders were based around the thought of Robert approving her. Um, so if he wasn't, let's say he wasn't the way he was, or she married someone else, would her daughter still be alive? Would she still have that mindset? She was so submissive in following what Robert wanted, and I can't find any reason or backgrounds on why. Um, but at this time, authorities did end up arresting pa only Paula and charging her with the murder by suffocation. And if it was, but again, if it wasn't for Robert, these I, I can't tell if these were committed. And to me, these seem like premeditated kidnappings and murders. But subconsciously or consciously Robert put a seed in her head that if you give me a woman baby you're bad and I right. just don't I don't know I just, it excuses me it, it makes it, me wonder if she would have been the same person she was if she married someone else or if Robert was a little bit different mm -hmm. and, and I think it's one of those things is that you know was she you, you, was the D that much hypnotizing to her that she was just she just acquiesced to every one of his whims to the point that you know I can't I, I I love this man so much that I am willing to do what it takes and if that means murdering my daughter so I can maintain this aura of marital stability i mean you talk about just wrecked in the fucking head if that's her mindset thinking of i can i have to do what i can you know to please my man and two i find it weird again i've never had a kid but i do have you know a niece and as soon as she, you know she was born all i wanted to do was make sure she was happy yeah everything revolved around her and i guess did Paula feel that way about her children at all or, or no, or were these children like a burden for her? I, I just, I don't know. It, it, yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. It's the fact, especially that, you know, one of the, the, the most, uh, most significant moments in your life is when you give birth to your kids. Like, it's just the you right. You want to do everything you can to protect them, and the fact yeah, no, that that is your that is yours that, that child is, yours. is yours right. And and especially in the, in, in the case with Lorelli, that it wasn't even two whole fucking weeks that she murders her. It's not six months until after the second daughter was born that she murdered her too. So you talk about severe fucked up issues. Yeah, and and again, it's we don't have much on, you know, why she did that, how her background was, but I did not find anything that seemed to be controversial, other than Robert rejecting her for her to be the person she is. Yeah, it. So that said, uh, authorities and prosecutors uh, would eventually. Lay out the theme. So that said, yes, as Cam had said a few minutes earlier, Paula was charged with murder. And in January of 1990, this case goes to trial. And authorities would uh, lay out, and, and the prosecution would lay out the scene that once Heather was dead, uh, Paula took her lifeless body to her parents' home and put her in the freezer. And um, the parents were on a week-long vacation, but once they heard of the death of their granddaughter they canceled their plans and came right home and it was believed that once paula found out that her parents were coming back she had to improvise and place heather somewhere else so why not her freezer in the basement yep the uh police believe that three days later paula disposed of heather across the mississippi river aka across state lines in the trash can where the fishermen would discover the body later. And on February 2nd, 1990, after uh, the deliberating for two days, the jurors found Paula guilty of two counts of first-degree murder alongside two counts of obstruction of justice and one count of concealing homicide. 
So, um, what I found interesting that she put it across state lines was... Do you um, think that... Okay, that's it, but I don't want to cut you off, but, like, and I guess to read your mind, if it's across state lines, does this shit become federal? I'm thinking. Um, I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking... I mean, I'm sure, depending on the case, which this is a pretty big case, I would say yes. Um, if anybody has the answer, let us know. But I do know, once you cross state lines, like, let's say you're, let's say you move across state lines and you're wanted, it's it's a lot harder for them to, to get you. Um, a lot, you got to go through a lot more hoops and stuff law-wise to, you know, come back to the state and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, but... Before his sentencing, Paula actually admitted that she killed both in, in, both infants. And the reason why she said that was an effort to spare her life, because they were going to give her the big enchilada, the death penalty. But she ended up being sentenced to life in prison. And if you could say this, parent, I, I can't really call her that, not only took one of her children, but two. So more or less justice did prevail. Um, however, again, my opinion, I still feel like Robert somehow played a role in this, um, subconsciously or consciously. Um, but he was actually never charged for the murder of either of his daughters that he, to me, did not seem like he cared for. Mm-hmm. Uh, although Paula did have a motive and a mindset to kill both of her daughters, it does have me wondering whether she would have acted again as such if her husband didn't reject his daughters. Right. Um, it's not noted, you know, and it's really, they don't really go into details whether or not Robert had any brains to this murder, but it does show he, to me at least, he did play a role in ensuring he lived a happily ever after. So that meant even if it included death. And so speaking of the husband, though, speaking of death, he was never um, implicated before court of law and he never will be because he was later killed in an automobile accident. Yeah, and, and I guess just to, to while we're on that subject, it's like again, way we're never he was never uh, implicated, uh, and he was never brought to charges. But again, he his his way of thinking, um, if we are to believe what was uncovered by the murder investigation, that you know that that whole his whole construed way of thinking is the catalyst of why this all happened in the first place. And again, you can see when Randy was born that she was able to remain in the master bedroom after she was shunned when their first child was born. And they lived from all accounts an idyllic, happy life. And when this other daughter comes in the picture, you're back in the basement. It's all of these questions of, I have to do something. I'm in fear that if, you know, this this could be a very unhappy situation if Heather is still in the picture. So, I mean, he didn't put, you know, he didn't put the hand there that we know of, but... He, but he, he let the lighter lay around him. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, that said... Uh, we this we had this episode in mind in early November, late October, way before we did our last episode of Jamie Simplify Snucker, and we would have left it at that. But this saga is seemingly far from over. Uh, again, in November, fast forward a couple months ago, and before then, Paula Sims had been lobbying to get a new trial, citing among other things improper handling from her attorneys and effective police work, yada, yada, yada. But last year, Illinois legislature had passed a law that allows postpartum illnesses to be considered in trial or sentencing. Now, the push to get Sims a new trial based on postpartum psychosis was nothing new. And um, you had had petitions going back as far as 2015, to lobby then Governor Bruce Rauner to uh, grant Paula Sims a new trial and get nothing to that avail. But now that the fact that this law 
it, not that this bill or this uh, proposal is now into law, it gives, you know, Paula Sims and her supporters the hope that, okay, maybe we can get this, you know, ball rolling. Maybe we can get a new trial. And um, Dr. Catherine Madu, uh, Matthews of uh, SSM Health at St. Mary's Hospital in St. Louis said to a local uh, St. Louis news station that postpartum psychosis is, quote unquote, when somebody's thinking gets really out of whack. They may not have logical thoughts. Uh, they may, at the most risky level, have thoughts of hurting themselves or hurting their children. But that said, Cam, the chances of this happening is extremely rare as there are two to three postpartum psychosis, psychosis cases per 1,000 births. And again, as it stands right now, Sims is currently serving her life sentence at the Logan Correctional Facility at Lincoln, like 30 minutes away from Springfield, but... Oh, I've been there before! Yeah, uh, yeah. I took a a woman's corrections class at UIS, and we had to go there! Oh, boy. Oh, my God, I wish I... Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God! Oh, boy, and I I gotta ask you that after we start recording, but, um, for now, that is the story of Paula Sims. It's a very, you know, it's very heartbreaking when we do, because we got, when we do a lot of gruesome stuff. Um, I think this is, I want to say this is the first one we involve, uh, and we have to search back, but familiar side, you know, and a, a, a parent who not only kills their children, which is just a, a, a porn enough. They're Our newborn. Protect their children and exactly. They're newborn. And one six months and one 13 days old. Makes me angry. It, 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 there, there's no justification. There, there, no, there's no, literally no justification for any of the murders that we cover. children have no chance. But, I mean, this one just really, it, it, it really stands out in its own unfortunate way. Again, you are a parent. You are welcoming you're welcoming life into this world and just as quickly you're snuffing out that life. And for what? To 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 uphold some archaic uh belief that, you know, male superiority and toxic masculinity, like it, it, it you, you, what say you can? Um, it's just it's, I just it just blows my mind because again I just we didn't look into their background you know usually we kind of give them some type of background but mm-hmm. it's that's why I think it plays you know she may have made acted on it but there was a seed planted and that was that was Robert yeah so and again I feel like it would have been completely different if you know, he was a smidge different. And it's unfortunate because those children, all three of those children don't have a chance. They never did. Yeah. The two girls lost their life. Um, and Randy doesn't have a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause again, the fact that the, the, I guess, cruel irony or karma in a, in a roundabout way is that again, the father was that Robert was killed only a couple years after the trial went goes down so again is it is it is us roundabout justice you know who knows you know the law yeah, of average is working out like it's weird because it's a weird like is it karma did he deserve like i'm not saying anybody deserves to die don't right. get me wrong but if he really was playing such a big effect in Paula's life for her to act as such is he really a good guy beats me beats me but yeah again and, and, and that's something that again we'll try to volley if you guys you know when we post this on uh social media that you know we do want some discussion on this i mean it just you know why cause i guess the the rub for us in in doing these uh these cases, it's not pretty much the who, what, when, where. I mean, we do want to be informative and all, but it's the why. And 
that's what really for me kind of gets it like this the motive yeah. and and again i'm really interested to see what you guys think of it um that said guys we will be back sooner than you think like we think so again we want to make to 2020 uh the biggest year for us as a podcast and that will be impossible impossible without your support we guys list just by listening that i can't stress how much that means um you know you are the engine that keeps us running so thank you guys so much so much um you can this will come out uh will be available on soundcloud itunes stitcher pretty soon we're gonna push this motherfucker up to uh, all our episodes on spotify and onto pandora and pretty much to whatever wherever you listen to podcasts so we're we are going to again. We're going to make 2020 our biggest year yet. And again, thank you guys so much. And before we go, um, you can find Cam on the Twitter on I Like Stuff 630. You can find her on Facebook on Cam E. Period Rin. And you can find her on the gram with Insta on Barbo Ho. And that is spelled for all you LSU fans. B-A-R-B-E-A-U-X, because she wants to be fancy or some fucking shit. H-E-A-U-X. So, Barbo Ho. Her word, Everyone thinks that the X is part of my last name. I go, we can go with that. <laughs> but you can find Alex Camp, which is his real name. Oh, I hate you. Um, no, I, don't, I don't want the government looking Facebook for me. Facebook under Birdman Iceberg. And his real name is Alex Camp, so please don't forget that, any, everyone. I hate you. Uh, <laughs> no, you love me. You love me. <laughs> Um, but anyways, you can find Birdman um, on the Insta, the gram of Insta, Birdman for the number four, America 2020. I'm voting. I hope you are too for him. Yes. Um, you got two people voting for you, so I. Who else is voting for me? Adam is um, okay. Yeah, right. For you. And then you can also find him on the Instagram, Birdman for America 2020. It's just, yeah, that's for Twitter too. Yep. Birdman for America and on Facebook, the mother load. Birdman Iceberg and this for Cam. This is Bird signing out. And just to remind you guys, we are Killinois. Be there or, or be killed. Bitches. Ah!